makes him nervous because he doesn't even know who she is, doesn't know anything about her, and, and he's getting married in April. So he, I've been telling him, send me a picture of her and as soon as you know. As soon as you get the picture, send me a picture. So I got a message this week. I am sending a pic. I got nervous. I mean, I, my stomach started knotting up. I was like, <gasps> so do you guys want to see the picture? Okay, go ahead. Hey, you guys cool down. What is wrong with you? It's his wife, not yours. So she's very beautiful. And I, I can't wait to eventually we're going to get to meet her, right? Uh, we're going to at least, I mean, it'll take you longer, but uh, we'll get to meet her through Skype and talking to her about this and everything. And it's just, it's just exciting. It's just it's just really cool to, to be a part of this. Also, we got one more thing, um, an email this week with a picture of some paperwork. This is paperwork in India. Now that we have built the building and it's there, uh, now we got a letter from the city government that says we have to rezone the property. I think, I think it's just Jesus laughing at me. I don't know because it's, I think this one will probably be rezoned before our existing property here will be rezoned. But either way, it's, it's actually cool because all of the guys that have to approve this and some of the names that are on this paperwork are people that I personally met when I was in India because we invited them to that big party. So that's, that can't be coincidence, right? Um, plus, they asked for a donation for their club, and we gave them a donation. So that's got to help us, right? I don't know if that's bribery or not, but it's got to help us. So, so I want to uh, jump into this. This is going to be a very difficult um, uh, message for everybody. We're all going to be uncomfortable at different times during this message. I've been uncomfortable. I've been planning this for literally months and months and months, and I kept putting it later on the counter in my head, and then finally I said, okay, we're doing it here uh, on this date. I've been um, looking at stuff for quite a few months about this to make sure uh, that, I, that I present this right, okay? I'm going I'm to talk about prejudice this morning. I'm going to talk about uh, racism, bigotry, and, and, and all the sides of this, all the, all the details that go along with this subject, and so here's the questions that I want to ask, that I'm asking myself, that I will answer during this, okay? Why does racism exist? We're going to get to that more to the end, as we get to the end of this. How does it affect you and me? We're going to be looking at that uh, through the whole thing, because we're looking at a few different angles of this. And, and this is one of the things we're going to look at, which is very important, is what about the people that don't want it to go away? Okay? That's a, that's a, that is one of the driving forces in our society right now is the people that don't want the idea of racism to go away or the verbalization of it to go away. We're going to look at that too. And then also, what can I do about this? Um, there is um, a, a, a lot of um, interesting... You can go hundreds of different directions with this subject. One of the things that I did, I guess it was a few months ago, but I, I, uh, I googled um, genocides. And I googled genocides in the 20th century. That's just the 1900s, right? Just that 100-year time frame, 20th century genocides. And it was amazing to how many genocides there have actually been in the world during this time frame. It's, it's a bizarre thing of how much of this that there was. Now, obviously, the, the 20th century included World War I and World War II, and so some elements of that are included. In fact, I learned a lot of things. I, I, learned, I learned three major things that I did not know. I thought, I thought I knew some of this stuff, but one of the big things that I learned is during World War II, when, when, um, when um, Hitler began to um, uh, kill the Jews, it became known that exterminating 
people was apparently going to be part of the, the plan for uh, the world during this time frame. Croatia went nuts and just started exterminating the Serbs. I mean, you talk about a, 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 a pure people group genocide. It, it was, in fact, there was, some, there was some verbalization from Germany that they were a little over the top. I'm not making that up. They're all the, 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 and, the, and not just Croatian Serbs, but also uh, what we would call, they use a different term, but it's like gypsies. Okay? They, these, these people were exterminated by the tens of thousands in this time frame. Crazy stuff. So, so this genocide mentality, all kinds of different people groups. Because one of the things that I want to address here this morning to kind of look at this is the fact that uh, American media really paints some pictures that are just not true. They're false. Uh, they're lies. In fact, they're, they're blatant lies. One of the, the mentalities is that America is this horrible, most racist country in the world kind of mentality. All right? This is, this is with countries right now in the world that have um, uh, slavery. There are countries around the world right now that have slavery. And by the way, every country in the world has had slavery at different times. Okay? But very, very few, and I'm saying less than five countries in the entire world, has anything that is close to something called a civil war where people fought to abolish the slavery. America is one of those countries. Okay? Over 250,000 um, men gave their lives so that uh, slavery could be abolished. Now, if you go around the rest of the world, you realize that America is, is the most, least most prejudiced country in the world, hands down. It doesn't even, it doesn't even um, it's a non-starter conversation when you go around the rest of the world. Uh, but but if, you stay, if you've only been in the United States and you only listen to CNN, you think that America is the most racist country in the world, which it's not. It's just not. Now, is there racism in America? Sure, there is. There's racism everywhere on the planet. Um, and, and I want to kind of look at some of these issues as we, as we do this. I want to go back to World War II. Two other things that I did not know, and this shows you kind of just the level of, um, of hate that can happen, is um, you guys know Joseph Goebbels, right? Um, one of... Uh, um, Hitler's right-hand guys. He, he, was, uh, he was the minister of propaganda. So he made these videos, and he put, he's the one who put um, stuff in newspapers. That was his job, right, during World War II. And so he would make these movies and things. And right toward the end of World War II, they realized that Germany was probably going to lose this war. It was crashing pretty quickly. They had already divested themselves over to Russia, and that ended up literally losing the war for them, okay? So... Uh, they find out, Hitler finds this out, so Goebbels decides he's going to come up with a propaganda movie. And, and they, they interview him over this, and there's some stuff there. And he talks about that this is going to way outlive and last all of them, and this will be one of the great testimonies to the, to the Nazis. He was thinking in a positive way for centuries to come. Uh, the movie's name is uh, Kohlberg. And Basically, it's a movie about uh, the German white Aryan race are, are good, perfect, created people, and that the Jews are subhuman, substandard, and that this movie is trying to prove that, okay? Uh, the woman is, is like uh, being seduced and, uh, and basically raped by a Jewish man is basically the concept in, in, in major part of the movie. So, it uh, shows all of these great German forces. So, so um, 
uh, Goebbels gets this mentality that he's going to bring all these soldiers. He brings over 100,000 soldiers from the front lines back to Germany so he can make this movie. <clears throat> this is as Germany is collapsing. Because it is more important to him that propaganda that makes Jews appear to be subhuman is better than keeping 100,000 forces at the front lines. Okay? At the exact same time that this is happening, there's another guy, Adolf Eichmann. You guys know who Adolf Eichmann is? He, he is the guy who was uh, given the job by one of um, Hitler's guys, main leaders. He was given the job of, of solving what they call was the, the, coming up with the final solution. And the final solution is, we've got millions and millions of Jews we need to get rid of, we need to kill, we need to exterminate. How do we do that the best? And so they pick, on Eichmann, pick Eichmann because he's a logistical genius, and he figures out all the train schedules and, and, and gas camps and extermination and ovens and all this other stuff so that he can kill about fifty to 60,000 Jews a day. That's, that's what he's known for. He fled to South America after World War II. They finally caught him. Jews went in and caught him, drug him back, put him in Nuremberg trials. You can go and watch those trials, by the way. So, Eichmann, let me show you a little video. This is right at the end of World War II. Go ahead. On the coast of Normandy, between Cherbourg and the Seine, Allied landings secured a bridgehead wide and deep. The Allies had landed in France on D-Day in June 1944, and they had crossed the German border for the first time by September. Renewed First Army activity on the Hürtgen Forest Front, through which our troops have been fighting since crossing the German frontier in September. Tanks paced the advance of an infantry division. Now on German soil, the Allies were battling their way towards the heart of the Reich. SS chief Heinrich Himmler realized that the war was lost. He sent out a decree that all deportations to death camps should cease. Himmler was hoping to hide as much evidence of the Nazi atrocities as possible from the advancing allies. But Eichmann would have none of it. He continued to view the Jews as a disease. He had been posted to Hungary in the last months of the war. Though chaos reigned all around and the Third Reich seemed doomed, he ignored Himmler's edict to stop. Instead, he rounded up 50,000 Jews and with no trains running, sent them on an eight-day march to their deaths. Only the defeat of the Reich ended Eichmann's slaughter. Interestingly, this is some, something that I found out about this specific with Adolf Eichmann and, and the Jews being taken to the extermination camps. The, there were the extermination camps and all of the transportation, everything, demanded that they use about 250,000 soldiers to accomplish this. Those soldiers could have been at the front lines fighting, 
But instead, it was more important for Eichmann. It was more important for everybody until Himmler realized this is going to look bad. But Eichmann was so determined that he, he had 250,000 soldiers being used that could have been at the front lines to make sure that he got Jews exterminated, killed them, gassed them, murdered them. So here's my thing. That's over 350,000 soldiers that could have been used at the front lines. And if Hitler wouldn't have taken his troops into Russia, he could have very easily gone into England, very, very easily. But he, but he separated them, and then he stopped there. If those extra, uh, extra 350,000 troops were put on either front, he put, well, he would have easily have taken over England, okay? But potentially could have even moved into Russia. But it was more important that we murder the Jews. It was more important. Now, here's the question that I, that I ask. How does a nationality or a skin color, or something else, um, a culture, something, how does that warrant so much hate within somebody? How does that get to that place? How do you, now, the, I'm going to show you at the end the scripture that shows us this, but it's obviously a demonic thing. Satan is the one that motivates this. Now, I would say motivates this in any setting. In other words, even if you're saying, well, I'm not out there exterminating six million Jews, but is there something in your heart against somebody else because of a culture or a nationality? And in today's society, it has greatly become uh, a lot of the prejudices that are pushing forward in our country right now are, um, <clears throat> are socioeconomic, political. In other words, uh, if, you, if you're rich, you're a bad guy. Somehow you have stolen that from somebody else. You have taken that. You do not deserve to be rich. I don't, I don't know where this has this come from, but... Somehow you work hard, you build a business, you become wealthy with that, and that means that somehow you're an evil person to the point where there's prejudice. There's a prejudice against Christians in today's society. I was talking about this a little bit last week, but the House Bill 1032, um, after service last week, Keith King came to me and said, you need to read the entire bill. Not the little page that they put in there, but you need to go open the whole bill up and read it. And this is the new health bill that's been presented um, that's, that's passed through committee and is going to be voted on now that is basically saying that you cannot graduate high school unless you've been taught these things. And it has blatant, weird, perverted stuff in there that you have to be taught the benefits and the negatives. But it says the benefits of pornography. This is in high school and junior high. Well, it actually goes all the way down to preschool, but it's supposed to be age-specific. The benefits of, of uh, pornography, um, all type of sexual uh, perversions, uh, anal sex, oral sex, homosexuality, all, it's written in the bill that you have to be taught the negatives and benefits of all of these things. And that it is now, and it literally says it, it is now it is against the law for any kind of religious moral uh, morality to be imposed upon any child, specifically with things that are um, gender shaming, and they have the definition of that. Gender shaming is saying, if I see a young boy and I say, hey, you're a boy, that's gender shaming. Because I don't know what he's defined himself to be. It's now against the law for, if I'm a teacher, for me to say that to a child. I'm not allowed to say um, uh, you, uh, a young boy or young girl. That's gender shaming. It's in the law. I encouraged all of our pastors here at the church to read. I encourage all of you. Go to colorado.gov uh, and, and look it up. HB 19, because this is the year 2019, Bill 1032. Look it up and read it. And open the PDF file, which is all 26 pages. It's disgusting what this bill is saying. It is beyond bizarre. 
In fact, Sandy King texted me some stuff this week, and I texted her back. I said, I, can, I never thought, even 10 years ago, I never thought we would be having these discussions, that this would be a bill. And I assume you guys have heard the, um, the governor of Virginia this, this week came out and said that his bill that he's going to be pushing into Virginia this year, uh, his abortion bill, is so that um, this is exactly, in fact, when I first read it, there was some stuff online and everybody was saying, no, you're, you're misunderstanding, you didn't read it all. So I read the whole thing, I read his whole, his whole verbalization of this, and it actually was way, way worse. But he basically starts off by <clears throat> saying, uh, children with Down syndrome or any kind of birth defects, which he doesn't define what birth defect is, okay? He says, Down syndrome, birth defects, anything like that, the baby will, <clears throat> after the baby has been born, after the mother has given birth to the baby, if the baby needs medical attention, resuscitated or whatever, they will take care of that. And then they will keep the baby comfortable while the mother decides if she wants to abort it. Do you know what the word abort means? It ain't that. This is literally after the baby has been born. We will let the mother decide. So here's my question. How long? Five minutes? An hour? A week? Ten years? Does mom still get to decide when the baby's ten? Um, I'm done. Abort the baby. The, 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 his verbalization had no limitations to it. After the baby's born. I, I never thought we would be talking about this kind of stuff. Thinking through this kind of stuff. Thinking that this is a possibility. But here's the thing. I'm going to be talking about prejudice and racism and stuff, but you have to understand it is directly connected with the House bill that we are trying to get voted in right now in the state of Colorado that the, that the liberals are, and it also has to do with abortion. All of this subject is the exact same subject. Satan hates humanity. And, and I'll explain this more at the end, and his goal is to make sure that you do the same. You be the tools. He hates us, but he can't touch us, so you have to be the tool. This is... This is what racism is. This is what prejudice is, is allowing Satan to dictate the day, okay? Now, the reality <clears throat> of some of this is that, um, yes, there is racism. There is people, but there's also people in our planet right now, I mean, in the United States right now, planet too, but in the United States right now, that, that is using the subject of racism and the subject of bigotry to, to, to actually implement Satan's plans, Satan wants people to hate each other, and they are the tools. They make money by, by race baiting. They make money by stirring up the idea of racism. They make money by this. Two, two people in particular that have made a living on this, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, they have made a living on this. They don't want racism to go away. They want to stir it up, and they want to create it where it doesn't exist because it's how they live. CNN, October 9th, uh, 29th, 2018, Don Lemon said, this is a quote, we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country, the biggest terror threat in this country, not terrorist, it's not disease, it's not school shootings, it's not mass murders, it's not any of this stuff. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men. Most of them radicalized to the right. We have to start doing something about them. Now, here's the deal with that. Take the word white out, put any other color in. Red and yellow, black, and stop right there. Put any other color in. That guy would have been uh, fired immediately, immediately, before the show was over. But he's allowed to race bait in this society 
because he's allowed to make sure that you have an opportunity to hate people that you may not even have an idea about hating. But he wants you to because this is demonically led. This is demonically influenced. Satan wants you to hate. And I I was having a conversation. This is a month and a half ago or so. I was having a conversation at at one of our Thursday breakfasts that that, uh, the guys get together with. And um, there's an older gentleman that comes to this, uh, about mid-60s. He's already retired, mid-60s, black man. And he said, during that, he said, this race baiting in our country has gone crazy. He said, he's got two grown daughters, and he said, I sat down with my daughters the other day, and I told them, stop listening to the media. Stop listening to this stuff. Not everybody hates you because you're black. Stop thinking it. Stop believing it. And he said, I told my daughters, he said, I told them that, do you really think that the cops are waking up every day saying, I'm going to go kill a black man today? He said, you got to get that stupidity out of your head. It's not true. And the fact that many cops are a lot of different colors out there. Why are we actually buying into this mentality? And he said, I'm trying to teach my daughters because as young adults, they're starting to buy into this stuff. They're starting to buy into it. Guys, these are lies. These are lies. First, they're being fed by Satan. And they're lies. They're trying to hurt. They're trying to destroy. Here's some of my experiences of this over the years. Two major ones stand out to me that weren't about me, but, but I experienced them. They stood out to me because they, 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 just the moment, I wasn't expecting it in the moment, it kind of it changed some things for me and then changed some things uh, in my life at that time. But I was over in China uh, 15 years ago, and, and, um, and I was my, um, the guy that was like my partner, my buddy on the trip, you know, you got you to always hold hands with your buddy. So um, we're, we're there, he's Japanese. And I had gone downstairs, everybody, all the other team, about 20 of us, something, they were all somewhere else. And he and I, we, we're going to go out on the street and we're going to eat some food. We weren't allowed to, you know, it's, you get dysentery or whatever. But I always think, you're just playing ahead, it's no big deal. So, um, so we go down to this little restaurant and he goes down with me and I go step into this restaurant. And he stops right outside the door. There's a little shop there and he's looking at some stuff. So I step in, and as I step in, all, all the Chinese people there, they're excited, they're glad to meet me. They, the, like the owner comes over, and he starts shaking my hand, thank you for being here, thank you for being here, and, and, uh, and I'm going to buy some food, I'm going to do some stuff, right? About 15, 30 seconds later, he opens the door and walks in, and immediately the entire tenor in the place changes. He's Japanese. Well, it didn't click in my head at first. I, didn't, I, didn't, I just noticed, wow, nobody likes him. Has he been here before? I didn't, it was immediately, you could see it. People were mean, they were, they were looking at him and the, the manager, guy, owner, whatever, was still talking to me and he looks at him and then just looks at me and then just walks away. I didn't understand it. So we, we get our food and they're, even while they're giving the food, they're nice to me and he gets over and they're like, you know, that kind of thing. So we go sit at the table and I, I told him, I said, man, this place is tense. What is the deal? And I said, I think it's about you. And he thought I was joking, but I hadn't put it together in my head. He said, it is about me. I'm Japanese. I'm like, and? He said, think of your history. Where are you right now? We were in the area of China where the Japanese had come in during World War II and literally exterminated tens and tens of thousands of, of Chinese people. Took some to, to like prison camps and all kinds of stuff. Just wiped out entire villages of Chinese people. I'd forgotten that. He says, I'm not real popular in China, and definitely not in this region. I'm thinking, I wish he would have said that. We would have stayed in the hotel room. And so I asked him, I said, does this bother you? He said, it bothers me. <clears throat> he said, on, on two, there's two things you've got to remember. He said, 
my people, the Japanese people, did do this to them. He said, so it bothers me on that level. He said, but I didn't do it to them, so it does not bother me on that level. He said, I didn't do anything to anybody. And, and it's something that I kind of already knew, but he really ingrained it in my head. You do not have to apologize or pay money or do anything for something your ancestors did. It's not you. You didn't do it. It's a, I'll, I'll explain that more in a second, too. So another moment that this really got me, where, where prejudice and stuff like that got me. I was pastor, this is 20-something years ago, I was pastor down in southeastern Colorado, and our church at that time was about 60-70% Hispanic. And we had, we, had a bunch of, um, we had a bunch of Hispanics starting to get uh, saved, somewhere like Catholics in the area, but we also had a large group of migrant workers that were starting to get saved. And we would go out, me and a handful of people in the church, we'd go out to the, to the farms, we'd go out to the migrant workers, and I even went and picked um, uh, fruits and vegetables with them at different times, just partly because they let me keep some, <clears throat> and I needed it. But, but I would just go hang out, and we'd pick the vegetables and all this stuff. And, and so some of these migrant workers started getting saved. Well, some of them spoke English, but a lot of them did not speak English. And there was one time in particular, we're in service, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and about, oh, there was at least 20 or 30 people in the service that were either non-English speaking at all or nominal at best. And so we realized we got to do something. So we had, we had a lady in the church that was a Spanish teacher, and so she started like trying to interpret some. We had to interpret some of the services. I didn't really go real well. I mean, we did some, and we used her at different times. But it was just, it, we, there was a group of people that are sitting in our building that, are, that have no clue what, what's going on. I mean, they know the songs. They recognize them, the tune, but not in English. And then I get up to speak, and they just look at me and smile, and they don't have a clue what I'm saying. And so we thought, we got to do something. So we begin to talk <clears throat> with our board and our leadership, and we put a team of guys together and uh, we flew to El Paso, drove down to Chihuahua, Mexico, and we interviewed a couple from a seminary in Chihuahua, Mexico. We had already talked to them on the phone quite a few uh, times and really liked this couple. And we got down there, we interviewed them, a wonderful couple. We realized these are our people, we're going to try to hire them. So now we begin the process of, of getting their papers, immigration status, and all that stuff, going through this thing. So I get back, we have our board meeting <clears throat> the next week after this. We're sitting in the board. We're excited. We're about to present this to the church in the next couple of weeks. The church already knows what we're doing. And one of the guys on the board, um, Hispanic guy, he was, him and his wife were born and raised in New Mexico. Um, he, his job was he was a contractor for migrant workers. That was his, that's how he made his money. And so hundreds of migrant workers, they all would sign up with him and he would contract for them to get jobs. So people would come to him and say, I need 10 guys, um, so, that, so he'd contract. So in the board meeting, he, he hadn't said anything about this before. What, this is like our finalization of this board meeting. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm very uncomfortable with this. Mike, I thought he was talking about the immigration order. He said, I'm very comfortable with this, uncomfortable with this. I said, why? He says, you know, I work with migrant workers every day. I said, yeah. He said, the migrant workers that come from old Mexico are no good. I was like, what? He said they just work a couple days to get enough money so they can get drunk on the weekend. He said they are not worth investing time and money and energy to try to help them. What? This is months and months. He hadn't said anything like this. I said, what are you talking about? 
He said, if they've come from old Mexico, we don't want to waste the time. Now, we've literally got like 30 or 40 people in the church that have been saved. Their families are there, their kids are there, that have already been saved, and they're starting to bring their friends and family because this is an exciting thing that's going on. These guys are getting saved. And I'm like, what do you mean they're not worth it? We've already proven that they're worth it. But he wasn't saying worth giving the gospel to. He was saying worth anything. They're not worth it. One of his friends and my friend, also sitting on the board, great man. In fact, he's at, him and his wife have actually been to church here a couple times since we've been here. But he's Hispanic also, but he and his wife come from old Mexico, right? Born and raised there. Um, he came as a young child. She came as a teenager uh, to America. And I look over him like, jump in here. And he just gave me a don't you know, worry about it kind of thing. So we began to discuss it. It, it. We just kind of tabled everything. We're going to talk, talk about it again. I went to Leo and I asked him, why did he say that? What is he talking about? He says, you never experienced this before? I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. He said, if you're a Mexican that's born in America, you're different than a Mexican born in Mexico, according to them. I said, I don't get it. He said, it's wrong. He said, it hurts me. Because this guy's his friend. He said, it hurts me. You don't understand. This is, I don't know why he thinks that. It eventually crashed the whole thing. We did not hire the people, all this kind of stuff. I had never seen that. I did not know there was this prejudice. I didn't know it existed. It crashed the whole thing. I mentioned a few months ago about me personally being involved in this, that as a white kid growing up outside the outskirts of El Paso, that I got beat up regularly because I was white. I wasn't Hispanic, and I was white, and I got beat up for four years, me and my brother. And my brother was special needs. He got beat up all the time because he was special needs and white. He, he wasn't going to win no matter what. He had two negatives in his life. And, I, and I, I, mean, I don't mean like shoved around. I mean the crap kicked out of me on a regular basis for four years. Well, I said that story to this, my friend Leo. This was 20-something years ago in, in the service, and and he came to me after service. He's in tears. And this guy's just a very, very close friend of mine. He's like a, he's like a father to me. And, um, and he comes to me in tears. He said, Pastor, I'm so sorry that that happened. I want to apologize uh, for, I, I guess he was like saying, for Mexicans everywhere. And I'm like, Leo, you never hurt, you've never done anything to me. This has nothing to do with you and me. This is zero to do with you. This was some, 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 Jerk gangbangers that wanted to beat me up. That's the extent of it. And they found a reason. It was because I was white and I was one of the only guys in the area that was. I said, that has nothing to do with you. See, here's one of the things. When I talked to Leo about the other guy, he said, you can't get that. That's a heart issue. That's not a skin color issue. It's a heart issue. It's not an ethnicity issue. It's a heart issue. You can't change his mind. The, the concept, I've, I've sat and watched videos online of Jews that have talked about this, about Germans, that they've forgiven the German people. And this is the, the weird one, is they've actually come face-to-face at different times. And you can go online and look at these interviews. But they've come face-to-face with, with actual um, extermination camp guards and things like that and forgave them. The rest of their family's dead, melted in an oven, and they forgive them. That's That's grace. That's God-given grace. Now, here's the thing is because a, a demonic evil mindset called Nazism pushed this anti-Semitic thing doesn't mean that Jews can hate Germans. Do you understand the difference in the two? I can't stand Islam. 
It's evil. It's demonic. It's murderous. But that doesn't mean I dislike the actual Muslims or Arabs. Just because I was wronged because of the color of my skin doesn't mean I hate anybody that is in that general classification. It doesn't even make sense. In fact, the first time I came face-to-face with this, we had moved back to Dallas. I was still in high school, uh, my uh, senior high school, and I'm walking down the hall, and this Hispanic kid is walking uh, on the other side of the hall, and immediately I bristled, and I was about to go to town. And I wasn't even really serving the Lord at this time, but immediately God convicted me and said, why are you upset at him? He's done nothing to you. You're the problem here. Because why? Guys, this isn't about a people group. It's not about a culture. It's not about... There were some guys that beat me up. And as I got older, I took it back to them. As I figured out how to fight, I didn't know how to fight. As I figured out, I took it... That was, that was a people issue. That wasn't a people group issue. Those are two different things. This is one... I have been in a room before with uh, Croatians and Serbs together. You talk about tents. Somewhere they got to realize this is not a people group issue. This is a hate issue. This is an evil in your heart issue. It's, it's something that every single one of us have to deal with it at, at, at different levels. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, it's important we notice that it says Gentile woman because that means already you know second-class citizen, right? I've been to India. I've seen, even though the caste system doesn't exist officially anymore in India, and it is much better, I've watched it happen in India. If you are part of the lower caste of society, you are considered subhuman, that you don't even deserve to live, subhuman. And this is kind of the way that they would look at a Gentile at this time frame. So, and the fact that she's a woman, she can't win. She is subhuman all the way around. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Ignored her. This is amazing what Jesus does here. Jesus is a master at pulling people in, using sarcasm and and, uh, the moment, the emotions, the time, people's thought processes. He's doing a, a wonderful job here of this. He, doesn't say, he ignores her. Then his disciples, whom he was trying to teach something, and he had already lured it. They didn't realize it. He threw the bait out there. They grabbed it, and they just started taking off with it. He's already lured them in, and all the people standing around. He's lured them in. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. They don't even, they don't even process what she's begging about. They didn't even process this. Her, her daughter is possessed. Well, but she's just annoying us. Her daughter is possessed. Listen to what she's saying. But the only thing they could see was Gentile and woman. I, I had a conversation just this week with a lady in ministry kind of thing. And, um, and she was talking about being a, a pastor and, and some things like that. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it was. I was interviewing somebody for a children's pastor position. She was a woman. And uh, she said, well, you know, I, I'm, I said, you're doing children's ministry right now. She works at New Life. She does some things at New Life. So in the children's department there. And so um, she said, well, I'm a director of this. And I caught the language because I've heard this before. I said, just so that you know, here at Church of Briargate, we don't call you a director. We call you a pastor. She said, well, I know different churches. I said, I want to say that again. 
we call you a pastor here at Church of Burgate because men and women can be called into ministry exactly the same way. God is not a respecter of persons, but some churches, they will use the term director because they don't want to use the term pastor because that will offend some people. Well, let me say this as sweet as I possibly can. If that offends you, you deserve to be offended. We hire women as pastors just like we hire men. Now, i got to be honest. I wish there was a little more testosterone around here sometimes. But we hire men just like we hire women. There's no difference there. You can be a woman pastor. You can be a man pastor. It doesn't, there's not a differentiation. In fact, this is one. I, I literally think God did this on purpose just to get under the skin of people for centuries. The first person to realize that Jesus Christ was risen was a woman, and she went back and told the disciples, Jesus is not dead. He's not in the grave. He's risen because she also talked to him. This is the reality with this. That means the first person that ever preached the gospel, which is Jesus is risen, was a woman. A woman. Stick that in your conservative Baptist bonnet and smoke it. I don't know. If, can you, if you? All right, so you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's amazing to me that we categorize this kind of stuff. Guys, we try to push people down. But, but Jesus, he's capturing them all at the exact same time. It's a Gentile and a woman. He ignores her, and the disciples are like, that's right. Let us step in here and cover the heavy. Jesus, it's okay. We got this woman. He's trying to mess with you. Jesus is setting them up. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, let me sidebar just for a second. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but this is important. This is a good one. When you're reading this scripture, you need to know this. She comes for healing, for her daughter to have the demon cast out for healing, okay? When she asked for this, Jesus says to her, is it, is it right for me to take, the way the King James would say it would be um, the bread and give it to the to." To you, the way it says it here is the food. Go back to the um, to the Lord's prayer. Lord's prayer says our, uh, that you would give us this day our daily bread. It's the same terminology here. Jesus specifically uses that same wording when she asks for healing. He says, "Is it okay for me to take your daily bread, healing, and give it to you?" Why am I saying that? If you're needing healing right now. The Lord just told us, Jesus himself just told us, it's part of your daily bread. It's not something extra. It's not something you got to work up. It's daily bread. Just, you can pray for it just like in the Lord's Prayer. Okay? All right, back to the more tense stuff. All right. It says, is it okay to take the daily bread or the food for the children and throw it to the dogs? He calls her a dog. This is the most racist thing that Jesus could come up with. You can't come up with a stronger, more racist statement at that time. She's a woman, she's a Gentile, you're a dog, you're not even human. Now, is Jesus being racist? If that was the end of the story and he's like, okay, let's go, do, you know, now we got a problem. But the reason he says this is because he's trying to trap every single person there. He wants to get in their head and make them think about what they really believe in their heart. So he says, is it okay for me to throw this to a dog, subhuman? And she replied, one of the most wise statements in the entire New Testament is by this woman right here. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. I love her reply. She brings it right back. 
Basically, she's saying, you say you're the son of God. You say you're God in human flesh. You say you're the healer. You say all this stuff. You came to bring life and hope and liberty and all this stuff to us as human beings. Well, then don't you think even a scrap would do that? Even a small scrap is big enough to do all of the things that you've said? If you're God in human flesh, then I don't have to have a full loaf of bread. Just give me a crumb is the way King James says it because that's enough and it'll get the job done. And Jesus goes, now nah, you got it. And because everybody else is like about to say, no, you can't. And Jesus stops them and says, okay, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now the disciples, nobody standing in that circle can say anything about Gentile or woman. Because he just knocked it down with one moment. He tore, he tore prejudice apart in one moment. He just healed her. That's all. It's, it's hard to argue with that. At the point. Next, next little story, very similar. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. Which means they had more faith and love and care than the disciples at this point. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him because it was children. Don't get these kids out of here. They're, 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 they're not important. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. I, I went to Africa in 1995, 6, something like that. And uh, Linda was pregnant with Isaac while we were on the trip. Um, I went there because I was going to introduce to them the idea of youth ministries and children's ministries. Because in Africa, in that country at that time, and, and many African countries were like this very much at that time, uh, they would have adult services and all the kids would go outside and play because the kids weren't important. They couldn't understand things about God. They, they couldn't know spiritual stuff. They didn't know how to pray to God or whatever. And, and they were just kind of, you know, they just weren't important. And which, which I really have a problem with because I got saved as a, as a five-year-old and I got called to ministry as an eight-year-old. Well, in Africa, I would have missed all of that. It wouldn't have been acceptable. So I want to talk about that. This kind of mentality has been the norm for, for millennium. Well, the kids, are, the kids aren't important. It's no big deal. It's just whatever. And Jesus said, no. In fact, if you could learn to be more like a child in your approach to me and faith and things like that, you'll actually do a lot better. And then he blesses every single one of them. See, Jesus is not a respecter of persons, whether it be gender or or um, age, or ethnicity, or anything. God creates people. That's all he creates. Here's some things that, that the New Testament specifically deals with. <clears throat> Jesus attacks prejudices in all of these categories. And I know there are more, but these are the ones that I specifically could, I can show you scriptures for. He attacks prejudices from religious leaders to the common people, from Jews to the Gentiles, and, and then obviously in reverse nowadays, but um, from adults to children, from men to women from saved to lost people, from rich to poor, and poor to rich. And I just threw this one in here, from tall to short people, because you got the whole Zacchaeus story, and he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sigma. Okay, so government leaders to the common people. Jesus attacks prejudices in all those different areas, specifically in Scripture. All right? Now, here's the thing. Here's, the, here's what all comes together. Genesis chapter 1, this is why... I believe that this crazy abortion mentality is so 
pushing right now, pushing, pushing. So and, and, and you notice something. Let me, let me give you another little insight I think I have here. I could be wrong, but I think this is, I think it's insight. We've got all this, oh, literally in the last year to year and a half is when all this stuff has just gone crazy. I mean, there's always been the discussion on abortion. There's always been this other kind of stuff. But we have seen abortion laws voted in in the last year that are mind-boggling. This whole House Bill 1032 in Colorado, mind-boggling. Please go read that bill, okay? Don't just assume you know what it means. Read it. So it's, it's, it's talking about the perversion in the schools and all this stuff, and I think I, I've already said a little bit of this, but, but you know one of the things that it talks about also is um, that it is against the law for any, and this is also pushed into charter schools, by the way. It spells that out. Public schools includes charter schools. Okay? That's important. But it specifically says that we, it is now against the law for there to be any Christian moral base of anything. Because it's not okay. That's where morality comes from. That is the only place it comes from. So, I've already beat that horse to death. So, Here's the thing. The reason I believe that this, this uh, LGBT agenda that is so strong right now, the uh, abortion agenda that is so strong right now, and, and also this, this uh, racism thing that's being pushed from every angle possible right now, they're all tied together. Every single one of them are tied together spiritually. Here's the reason. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Do you realize that when <clears throat> God just creates people, he doesn't create, um, I mean, he creates different colors of people, but he doesn't do that specifically in a different way, okay? He just creates people. And here's something that I want you to think about. I don't know exactly how to, to verbalize this, but this is the best I can do. When Satan looks at a human, he doesn't see different colors, Okay? Just, just go with me for a second. You're like, you can't prove that. I can't. But here's the thing. I don't think Satan sees different colors. I think he sees the image of God, and that drives him crazy. So then he convinces us to look at different colors instead of seeing the image of God. We were talking about this some Wednesday night. I know that God wants to speak to every human on the planet I can't stand the demonic evilness that is uh, Islam. But I know that Jesus has shown himself to Muslims in dreams. Why? Because he, he created them in his image too. He creates everybody in his image. So when we look at people, we're supposed to see people that look a lot like God. Not obviously being God, but even physically, emotionally, everything. You look like your creator. You're a chip off the old block. But Satan doesn't want us to see that, and he doesn't want us to respect that God wants to use people. He wants to, this is why, part of the deal with me, and this is not, I've always not wanted to do this, but it has always happened. I, I tell pastors all the time, when you hire pastors, you're not hiring them to mentor them, but you're supposed to mentor them after you hire them. And sometimes that's difficult. It is a lot more difficult mentoring somebody to do the stuff, then just let them do the stuff. It's difficult. But here's the thing is God created them in his image. And I know God took his, I mean, uh, people took their time with me when I was not very, I'm, I was not the smooth, lovable guy that I am today. 
And people took a lot of time and energy mentoring me and developing me in ministry. Why? Because they saw something that God could see that other people couldn't. That God made and he created. I think Satan tries to get us to see skin colors and ethnicities and socioeconomic statuses and all religious beliefs. And he tries to get us to see all that stuff instead of seeing this person is a creation of God. Divine, supernatural creation of God. I, I had a uh, guy in class years ago. I was in a uh, doctoral level class. There was about eight of us at the time in the class. And this guy's Italian. He's sitting there. And um, that's actually important. And uh, he's sitting there and he says, well, I just want to put it out on the table. We all need to deal with this. That every, he, we're, every one of us in the class are white. I mean, he's Italian, but he's white. And so he said, every white person hates black people. What are you saying? What I wanted to say, it literally came in my head, and I almost said, no, I don't hate black people, only Italians. But I thought, that's probably not going to help right here, right now. It's not going to move us forward. And so I didn't say it. But I, I, I told him, I said, no. Everybody else was like, yeah, we should. And I'm like, you're an idiot. I'm not owning that. Just because you got something going on inside of you doesn't mean I do, and I reject that. See, guys, here's part of the deal with the racism mentality, is if you got some stuff going on inside of you because of somebody's ethnicity, nationality, culture, or something else, you need to deal with that with God. But just because somebody says you do doesn't mean you do. And you've got to get the difference in the two. You've got to see, and we're scared to death in today's society to say that. When, when Don Lemon said this on CNN, he... He was being a bigot. Did I read that quote? Okay, I thought so. He was the one being the bigot. This is crazy. So look at this. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every male has attributes of God, and every female has attributes of God. We are created in an amazingness in equality. Not in sameness. Males and females are very, very different. But we're created equally. You've heard me talk about that's why God took a rib, not a foot bone or a head bone, attached to the knee bone. Okay, so, verse, chapter 3, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is the visual imagery of Jesus, that, that Satan reaches up and bites Jesus on the heel. That's the cross. That's the crucifixion. He reaches up and bites Jesus on the heel thinking, I'm winning. I've got him. I've bit him. I'm going to win this thing. And Jesus uses that very cross to crush Satan. With his, with, that, with his heel. So he goes, I'm winning, boom. No, it's actually what causes you to lose. That's, that's what this verbalization is. Now here's the key. When he does that, when Jesus dies on the cross, he tells us that we are supposed to look, be, and act like him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. And when I grew up, I put away childish things. Could, wouldn't that sentence be a good sentence for our country to embrace right now? If we could just get that one. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And, that I, and now, all that I know now is partially incomplete, 
But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Let's talk about when Jesus comes back, we'll get it. Everything will be made clear. Verse 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love will transcend this time on earth. And guys, this is the key for us as Christians. We gotta love people. It doesn't matter what you think about a people group or anything, you gotta love people. It doesn't matter about an ethnicity or a culture or a religion or, or even a sexual preference or anything else. You've got to love people. I am going to fight with everything against me, against false religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam. I'm going to fight against those things. I'm going to fight against this House Bill 1032. Keith and I were strategizing this morning. What can we do? I'm going to fight against this perversion. I'm going to fight against the, 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 the demonic push of, of the LGBT community. I'm going to fight against this stuff. Why? Because it's destroying the people that are made in God's image. These are people that God made. This isn't just somebody with a sexual preference. This is a human that God made and Satan is manipulating them. Why? Why does he want to kill babies? Why does he want people attacking each other because of ethnicities and everything else? Why does he want this sexual perversion that's moving through our country? Why? Because he hates people because they remind him of God. And he can't stand that. But he can't touch us. So he uses us as the implements of evil and hate and murder. He uses us. Satan has not killed one baby. The people God created in his image have killed babies. That's, that's the craziness. We're killing our own. Satan hasn't been racist one second. But he causes the people God created in his image, in God's image, to hate people that are created in God's image. Do you see? That's what this whole thing is about. That's why we have to reject it. And guys, to push this as strongly as I can, if you've got anything going on in your heart against, against a generalization. Now, against an individual too, you've got to forgive people. We understand that. Scripture says forgive people. But that, that's because they've done something to you or whatever or however you... I'm going to put that to the side. I'm saying in your heart there's an issue with the generalization of people. I had this conversation with my son. The other day he was talking. He's down in South Texas. It's, there's a, a lot of racism in the area that he's in. And he said, he said, Dad, I guess when you're an older generation, you're just allowed to be uh, racist. Everybody down here over 50 is racist. No, son, they're not. Let's talk. Well, I know they're not. I said, you're telling me everybody over 50 hates everybody else that's a different color. No, I know it's not right, but it just feels like it's okay, but be careful. Because by you making that generalization, you're doing the same thing for anybody else making a generalization. Individuals are individuals. Let's not, let's not do that. So here's, here's the deal. you got to get in your spirit. you got to get right now is, do I dislike somebody because of a, of a skin color, ethnicity, or nationality? Guys, you can't be a Christian and do that. That's how simple it is. You can't be a Christian and hate the people that God created in his image. You can't. So you need to get it right. You need to get that under the blood. The other side is, is stop walking around wimpy and with tail between your legs just because somebody uses the term racism. There's nothing wrong with standing up and saying, you are wrong. You're being the racist right now. I mean, that might start a fight, so don't do that. But you understand what I'm saying. You can call them on it. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. We've got to fight both sides of this. 
get our hearts right and clean and stand up against the, the evilness that Satan is trying to do. Stand with me if you would. I know many of you are like, wow, this was fun this morning. This was... <laughs> Here's the thing with all of this, guys. I know. I know God wants to do stuff with us. One of the reasons that we can struggle in trying to minister to people is because we're scared to death of what that might look like. Or somebody saying something or something going on in our heart. Get it, get it right. Get it right. Okay, let's pray. God, we come before you as created by you, as designed by you. God, we are, we are wonderfully and intricately made. We are beautifully made according to your scripture. God, that includes all humans everywhere. So Lord, first I pray, if there's anybody in this building that is dealing with, with some kind of um, um, angst or, or um, dislike or even uh, anger or hate or something else toward a, a specific ethnicity, nationality, skin color, God, convict them right now. Let them know it's hurting them. It's not hurting anybody else. It's hurting them. Lord, I ask you to destroy it right now. Convict them. Destroy it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to walk in love. We want to be forgiven. Walk clean in love. In the name of Jesus. God, I also pray, I pray all this uh, race baiting, all this trying to pit people against each other trying to say this entire group is racist against this other group, God, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. God, destroy this stuff. It's tearing us apart. God, the lies that come from the media, the media seems so racist nowadays. God, destroy it. Destroy it. So God, I pray for both. Clean our hearts. Convict us if there's anything in there. We don't, want to have, we don't want to have something wrong between us and some group, people, or something. Convict us, Lord, and then we ask you to forgive us. Wash us clean. And let love rule in our hearts and our minds. Let grace rule in our hearts and our minds. God, if there's, if there's, if there's women in here that are upset at, at, at men because of something a man did, God, let them see that those are two different things. In the name of Jesus. Lord, wash our minds and our hearts clean. In Jesus' name. God, we ask you to help us to be who you want us to be. Amen. Now, let me, let me push this into your world a little bit. Guys, do the best you can. Process some of that this week. Ask yourself. Get before God. Don't just, don't just oh, I'm good. Ask him. God, is there somewhere I'm struggling? There's something wrong with my attitudes or whatever. And once you've got it right with God, stand on it. Stand on it. Okay, so, so be thinking about it, praying about it. We want to make sure you're all invited Wednesday night. It's going to be potluck. Bring something. This is for everybody, specifically for leaders, board members, pastors, those kind of things, workers in the church. We, want, we need you here. But we really would like everybody to be here to be part of the discussion and everything that's going on. All right? So hug somebody's neck. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, and we will see you Wednesday night or next weekend. Have a great rest of your day.